Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Welcome back. It's the big show in the morning. My name is Matt Rose. He is Logan Gordon. Thanks for uh, taking some time today. We'll take you up until 9 o'clock. We are live from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems Studio, our new studio sponsor. And thanks for the support, Doug and the crew. True family-owned business. They specialize in foundation reports serving foundation repairs serving Calgary and Southern Alberta since 1992. We go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline to chat with our pal and yours, Justin Dunk from Three Down Nation, who was out in Regina for the Grey Cup. Grey Cup 109 on Sunday. The Argos sneak out a one-point victory over the Blue Bombers to uh, capture the Grey Cup. And uh, to talk more about it, Justin joins us now. Justin, I'll start here. Um, Monday after Grey Cup, what's what's your play? Are you a Gatorade, BioSteel, coffee and cigarettes? What's what's the <laughs> what's the go to for you on the Monday after Grey Cup? Definitely no darts for me, man. I'm a smoker. I just have the water going. I gotta stay hydrated, boys. Like what a game, what a night, what a comeback, what a manic finish. I'm just trying to keep up with it all. My thing is, I like to pee clear. That means you're hydrated, you know? Oh, yeah. I, I'm a big man there. <laughs> you know what? Just straight up water. I, I can appreciate the former athlete in you. Uh, I didn't expect it to be coffee and cigarettes, but hey, you never know. Some people are wild and like that, especially out in Regina, so I wouldn't have put it past you. Um, how was the week? Yeah, it's like when in Regina, right? Yeah, that's, right. Yeah, yeah, Taking the local culture. Yeah, you got to deal uh, with the locals do out there. Pilsners and cigarettes for breakfast. Um, how was the week? How was the festival? Was it awesome? Were, were people invested? Because I know the season for the riders was kind of meh. And I wonder if, if they, they lost a little bit of glean to the big weekend as a result. The Riders fans certainly weren't as excited as if their team would have been in this big title game in their home city. But that said, you got to credit the city of Regina and specifically Green and White fans for still showing out and showing support. The majority that I talked to were cheering for Toronto because they didn't want to see Winnipeg win, especially being in that home Riders locker room. Imagine if they were celebrating in there. Saskatchewan fans wouldn't have liked to see that. And there were fans around the city that – we're almost accepting that, yeah, the Bombers own us. The first win in the stadium, the first playoff win in the stadium, the first West final win in the stadium, we're all done by the Bombers. But the Argos now have a bunch of green and white backers, I think, because they were able to keep the Blue Bombers from checking another box there at Mosaic Stadium. Impressions of the game, Justin, that's got to be as wild the fourth quarter as I can remember in uh, a Grey Cup in a long time. It was insane. The back and forth and the ups and downs after Janarian Grant sets a Grey Cup record with a 102-yard punt return touchdown. You felt like, here Winnipeg goes. They're going to pull away. They were up nine at that point. And it seemed like they hadn't played great football, but they didn't turn it over up until that point. Then you had two fourth-quarter interceptions, Dakota Prokop throws the first one. Zach Kolaris throws one late. But I think the one that really changed the entire game was Prokop. The Bombers had just gotten out to midfield. Brady Oliveira ripped off a run for a first down that was over 10 yards. And you felt like, okay, this Winnipeg offensive line that has been so good for the last number of seasons during these cup runs was going to start to lean on that Argos front. Oliveira started to find a rhythm. And then here comes Prokop, not just the 
second-string quarterback, but he's a short-yardage quarterback, technically the third-string quarterback, into the game, rolls to his right, throws a pass into double coverage. I think there were some issues with the routes on the play because there were two guys in the same area. But still, I just can't understand the play call from Buck Pierce, the offensive coordinator, who's been great for the most part of the season. You pull your MLP quarterback off the field in that situation, and you don't give it to your running back who helped you pound out and grind out the clock in that West Final, Leviera, that is, with over 100 yards in that West Final, for your short yardage quarterback. I think Winnipeg's going to be smarting about that decision for a long time. How wild was it to see Chad Kelly get into that game and all of a sudden have to take things over for the Argos late after McLeod Bethel-Thompson injures his hand there? I know a lot of people wondering if maybe they were switching things up like the Bombers were with Prukop or what was going on. What was going through your mind when you saw Chad Kelly go in? I thought the same thing because you couldn't really tell what had happened to McLeod Bethel-Thompson until you saw him with tape on his right thumb and for those who don't know he dislocated that right thumb whacking it off the helmet of Jackson Jeffcoat and in comes Kelly and talking to a bunch of Argos players on the field after the game they said he was calm he actually came to the huddle and made sure the receivers knew all of their blitz hot route checks because he felt like the Bombers were going to send pressure knowing that he was a rookie quarterback himself so self-awareness coming into the game. Of course, he's got the lineage to perform in the clutch. His dad, or sorry, his uncle Jim has done that multiple times to the Bills, although he didn't get it done for an NFL title. And Kelly threw the ball really well. And I actually felt like it was a smaller sample size, but Kelly threw the ball better overall than the Cloud Bethel Thompson did. So certainly impressive. His stock goes up, although he's still under contract with the Argos and They would like to keep him there, I think, as their quarterback of the future to try to market that big name in Toronto. But it was a great performance for the time that Kelly was in the game. What went wrong for Winnipeg in this one, Justin? It was real simple to me. I felt like at times they overthought it or potentially overcoached it. And that Dakota Prukop interception in the fourth quarter, I think, is going to loom large. And then outside of that, there were chances in the first three quarters for Winnipeg to pull away. I didn't think Zach Caleros played particularly well, and it continues a trend for him in Grey Cups where he doesn't put up these eye-popping stat lines. He had a great fourth quarter in 2021, leading that comeback and forcing overtime and eventually getting a win in overtime there in Hamilton for the second straight Grey Cup for Winnipeg. But there were a lot of throws in this game that he's going to look at on tape and want to have back, particularly to open it up. They go play action down the middle of the field that Dalton shown, and Caleros was at least one or two, if not three seconds late in pulling the trigger. Yes, the ball still hit shown in the hands, but by that time there were a couple of DBs that kind of got in his way or bothering him with the hand placement on the play. There was another one early on. Greg Ellingson was wide open across the middle, Caleros didn't see him until he rolled to his right and then threw a tough ball for Ellingson to try to catch that went off his fingertips. So there were a number of examples like that where there were receivers running open and Caleros was either late or uncharacteristically inaccurate. Like he had been over 70% in terms of accuracy rate, rate during his time as a starter in Winnipeg. So that was the most surprising to me was just Caleros being ineffective and being inaccurate despite dealing with that ankle. I thought he was actually fine on the ankle. He escaped a couple of times and out of situations that you didn't think you would get out of. So that's what stand stood out to me as the difference maker in the game. 
For me, it was good to see some former Stampeders win. Devaris Daniels uh, comes to mind. Royce Mechie certainly comes to mind. Ja'Gara Davis, another, although he's always at the Grey Cup anyways. But was there anybody for you, maybe Hino Mwamba or Brandon Banks, who are winning their first title, that you felt this is extra special for these guys who have been in the league for a while and, and, and really worked to get to this point? Those are the obvious storylines, guys, but I'll give you one here, and it's a story that I've seen from the university level and learned a lot about him, and it's Curly Gittins Jr. His mom was mm. back in Guyana. She couldn't make it to the game. He was trying to figure out a way where she could watch it. He had his uh, partner with him at the game and his daughter there afterwards celebrating a guy that had a breakout season. And for those that don't know, he was an OUA MVP in Ontario University football way back with the Wilfred Laurier Golden Hawks, I think it was like, what, maybe three, four years ago now, so I shouldn't say way back, but had 75 catches in that season for over 900 yards, and I felt like if he just got an opportunity, he could be great at the CFL level, and he showed it, and I think he's fought through a lot of tough obstacles in his life to get to where he is. Now he's a free agent, and he's either going to get paid by CFL standards or start getting some NFL looks, which I think is definitely a possibility with Gittins Jr. So he's one of the unique stories for the Argos in this cup win. As far as looking towards the offseason, really you could go either way, Bombers or Argos. Is there any player that you look at and say, man, this this is going to be an intriguing offseason uh, either way for both these teams? Ooh, certainly there's going to be a lot of focus on Andrew Harris and what he does. He's got three straight great cups, four on his career now. There are people that will tell you that they think he's done. And then Ryan did what he said before the game, that he feels like Harris has more gas left in his tank and would love to have him back. So that's a decision to be made there for Harris. And then on the flip side, there's people wondering, is Adam Big Hill nearing the end, just in terms of his own decision? I still think he can play at a high level, and he still seems like he has the passion to do it. So I think those are two of the bigger stars there you would imagine Brandon Banks. He's talked about this openly, just wanted to get a ring and could potentially retire after that. And the biggest question mark, fellas, going into the offseason for the Argos will be, does McLeod Bethel-Thompson indeed retire, as has been rumored in and around the Argos? And does that mean that Chad Kelly steps into that starting role, or does one Mr. Bolivai Mitchell end up in the sixth? Bolivai Mitchell of the Hamilton Tiger Cats, Justin? Whatever do you mean? How could he go well, back and forth in the Battle of Alberta, the Battle he, of Ontario, how, Justin? How could he go to Toronto? A rival of his. You guys know Mr. Mitchell well, okay? Does he seem like a guy that would enjoy Toronto or Hamilton more? I think we all know well, the answer. It's Toronto. And seems we'll like an Jackson. unfair <laughs> shot at Hamilton, Justin. Yeah, They've got, got lots things. of steel mills and <laughs> shoppers drug marts, I'm sure. Yes, lots of Tim Hortons. It's the yeah. birthplace of that fine establishment. But that's just looking at it from Mr. Mitchell's perspective. I spent multiple years in Hamilton as a sports anchor at CHCH. Hardy people, great city, blue-collar type of town. But what color jacket was Mitchell wearing at the CFL Awards? Did you guys see pictures of him there? I'm going to say it was blue. Yes, sir. Mm, so I shocking. think there's some subtle signs coming out here. We'll see what happens. There's still lots to be decided. You know, does MBT indeed retire? And does Mitchell end up in Toronto? Or does Saskatchewan make a play for him? Or does Hamilton really up the ante and overpay for him to become a Hamilton Tiger Cat? I think those are all legitimate questions. 
Yeah, but the real question is, was he wearing green underwear and really oh, trying to throw it? Yes. At you? <laughs> <laughs> That's enough you out of here. Of yeah. I don't know who's going to do that. It ain't going to be me. Oh, my goodness. Um, I, <laughs> I actually wanted to ask you about Mike O'Shea, but then you brought up Olivier Mitchell. But Mike O'Shea uh, doesn't have a contract for the next year, if I'm not mistaken. Do you see him being anywhere apart from Winnipeg? I really don't. He has settled his family there, and the culture that he's created with those players can't just be recreated in an instant if he went elsewhere. I do think there could be the potential for a power play, though, there for him to potentially get more say over the roster. And there are some things behind the scenes with that Blue Bombers team that aren't so kumbaya, let's say, Mm. in the front office. So I think if you're O'Shea, you maybe want to have a bit more say over that because he's such a detailed guy and he's going to look back at this season and probably start to think that some of that stuff that's going on behind the scenes matters and potentially affected the outcome of this Grey Cup. Nathan Rourke getting a lot of love for NFL teams. What are you hearing uh, as far as latest, maybe some potential tryouts, some locations, and uh, is there any chance he returns to the CFL at this point? First on the NFL front, he's got two workouts this week, one today, one tomorrow, and that's literally my next thing, fellas. Probably my next few calls is to figure out Mm. where he's working out for today and tomorrow, or I should say what teams he's working out for. And he's going to have a lot of interest here, so he needs to pick his destinations carefully because he talked about this after he accepted his award for the CFL's Most Outstanding Canadian that his foot isn't doing so well on flights. The elevation Mm. causes some inflammation, so he needs to choose these travel destinations carefully for these NFL teams. And I also think you need to do it because you don't want to waste time, right? You want to look at the situation and understand, okay, even if I'm going in here just for a tryout and a visit and interviews, I want to make sure it's a place that could at least have the potential to sign me or that I would potentially want to go to. So I think that needs to be done in a smart and prudent way, and I think it will be by Rourke and his camp. But as for coming back potentially to the Lions, there is that possibility there if something doesn't present itself in the way of the opportunity that Rourke wants. But in all honesty, and he said this flat out, that his entire life playing quarterback, he's wanted an opportunity to play in the NFL And I think he's going to exhaust it. He's at the perfect age to do it where you're not too old yet. And you could still develop on the practice roster for a year if a team wanted you to. And they wouldn't feel like you're too, too old and too far gone. I mean, Chris Wanky got drafted way back when in the first round. And he was like 30 years old coming out of Florida State. So I'm not saying Rourke is Wanky, but Rourke had a pretty darn good season in the CFL and would fit the offenses that are running a lot more now in the NFL that are wide open gunslinging styles, like what he was able to execute at such a high level in BC. Now it was a little bit different. Bully by Mitchell was a lot older when he went and did a few tryouts. I believe it was back 2018, 2019, but how would you kind of compare and contrast maybe the, the interest from NFL teams uh, compared Bully by Mitchell to Nathan Rourke? Obviously Rourke's a, quite a bit younger at this point when he's given it a shot. That's the key difference, but Mitchell did have a lot of interest from NFL teams, and that was a case where, and you guys know this well, mm-hmm. Mitchell felt like the right opportunity didn't present itself. He wanted an opportunity to compete, at least to be a backup, and see a path to being a starter in the NFL, and that wasn't there. So he came back to the CFL, took a big check from John Hoffnagel, who doesn't really give out too many of those, 
to come back and play for the Calgary Stampeders. So I think if you're Rourke, that's what you're going to have to be looking at and weighing not necessarily the risks of it because he's going to have, you know, at least $500,000 sitting there in terms of an offer from the BC Lions, really whenever he wants it. But it's about the situation. I think that's critical here, right? And how much upfront money is presented in Rourke's offer. If there's, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars there, then it's worth the risk. If there's a hundred thousand dollars there, then you really have to look at the opportunity. So the interest is there. And I think there are more teams calling about Rourke than there were Mitchell just for the simple fact of his age. So what's next for you, Justin, just chasing around Nathan Rourke all over the U S for the next little (laughs) bit, or you take a little breather and old fashioned or something here or there. What's going on? Oh, my goodness. You know, I was sampling all these different uh, tequila drinks in Regina, and it made me want to go somewhere south. But I'm going to chase Mr. Rourke around. I'm going to get some stealth jet, maybe, and just follow him around where he goes in the NFL. But first, before I do that, Venue Cup is next weekend. The University of Saskatchewan will play Laval University at Western. I'll be on CBC's panel for that. So that's up next, fellas. And then we'll just see where life takes me, man. Honestly, I really want to get out to Calgary and more specifically Banff to do some snowboarding real soon, dude. The mountains are calling. Well, you got my number, just saying. Uh, and by the way, I hear Let's the agave it. is uh, pretty good out in Saskatchewan, so it makes sense you found a good mm. bunch of good tequila drinks out there. Yeah, real nice. Boys, if cactuses. I'm coming out there, to sh- if I'm coming out to all those cactuses, yeah, oh my gosh, <laughs> I'm staring at all this snow here. I yeah. go from like beautiful fall weather in Ontario playing tennis outside oh. to minus 20 for the Hardy Cup and oh. don't even get me started. But, but if I come out to Calgary, boys, we're going to sh- shred some pow-pow, right? Is that oh, yeah. say? Isn't that the lingo out there? Uh, you know what? Don't repeat that ever again. That didn't sound great. But, yeah, we'll, we'll do something of the likes. We'll, we'll go shred some pow. We'll go, uh, yeah, it'll, we'll rip up the gnar or whatever the kids say. Yeah, it'll be fun. There we go. <laughs> Love it. All right, J.D., take care, man. Enjoy it. Have a good one, fellas. There you go. It's Justin Dunk, three down nation. And uh, drying out after the Grey Cup. One of the better parties in our country. I will argue that till I'm dead. It is way too much fun. Next year in Hamilton. I had a friend from Hamilton text me yesterday and said, you better get your ass in gear and start uh, getting your affairs in order to make my way out to Hamilton to uh, for next late November. So we'll see what the powers may be. Mm, boss the, man, I gotta get up The powers to, that be will do. But, yeah. Uh, I feel like for that to happen, a couple things will need to happen. Uh, the Stampeders will need to be probably a playoff team, if not a great cup team. Yeah. And uh, the show will probably have to be very good. We'll probably have to get some sponsors, you know, and then from there, we'll go to the great cup. We'll get all boozed up. Come Hamilton. On. It'll be a lot of fun. Sponsors. Help us get Matt to Hamilton. Yes. Because he'll be very responsible. I Listen. I did the Edmonton Grey Cup 2018. Did the Calgary Grey Cup 2019. You did the Edmonton Grey Cup from a hostel. Uh, yeah, more or less. More or less, it was a hostel. Um, and then did 2019 the eyes. here in Calgary, which was a lot of fun. But now I've missed a couple of them. And I'd like to get back to another one because I do quite enjoy it. A bunch of family in Saskatchewan that was like, hey, come out for the game, come out for the game. Yeah. Were they excited about the game? No. Really? Really? Big Ryder fans? Now, all of my family in Saskatchewan, with the exception of one cousin who is an Argos fan. Weird. 
Uh, yeah, I don't know why she chose the Argos, but she's loved them since I can remember. So uh, she them. was very excited. Oh, she's she's got jersey every every Argos jersey for real. twenty years, helmets, the whole thing. Dang. Pinball recognizes her whenever she's at the games. That checks out. Um yeah, so the rest of my family was just pretty much there for her and because they didn't want to see Winnipeg win. So Yeah. Yeah, it'll be cold and I gotta drive. It didn't look like it was too cold. No, but you knew it was but cold it enough. It was cold enough. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Our pal Danny Austin texted me, I think, on Friday night and was like, Hey, you wanna go to the Grey Cup for a day? And I was like, I cannot commit to doing that. <laughs> that would be twelve hours of pure madness, and I don't know if I would survive, enjoy. I just it just felt like it would have been a bit of a whirlwind. I don't know if he actually ended up going or not, but no, I think he was uh, at Bender's mm. uh, Great Cup party yesterday. Fair enough. Everyone was taking it in however they may. Um, I had to watch the Bengals and Steelers game, so then they had a little overlap. That was yeah. a little problem for me. A little back and forth. Uh, Flames, back in action tonight. The road trip continues. Tampa, Florida, done. Under the Metropolitan Division are the Flames. We will discuss it next. The Flames morning skate is coming up in about 33 minutes, too. We'll see if Brett Ritchie's out there and if there's going to be any changes to the lineup for the Flames as well. That's all coming up as we continue. This is the big show in the morning. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Welcome back. It is a Monday. Hope you're doing just lovely. You had a great weekend. Maybe enjoyed some NFL. Maybe you're fired up that the World Cup is underway. Maybe you shredded some pow pow. Stop with that. JD. Don't. Dog. You're making it worse, you know? Shred that pow. Just gnarly. Shut up. Shut your mouth. (laughs) World Cup update coming up in about 20 minutes for you. Alex Brody will have that all prepped for you. Ready to go. He's going to shred it, bro. Stop. I swear. I will throw you on the train track. It would be so gnar. The Calgary Flames in action again. Uh, game three of six on an Eastern Conference They're gonna road shred trip. some ice, bro. I'm done. Yeah, are you? Yeah. I yeah. So, you ready yeah. to behave? You ready yeah. to do the show? Yeah. What is happening? What is going Come on? Come on, Alex. I don't even want to be around anymore. <laughs> He gets it. Yeah, he gets He's it. He's starting to get it. Um, the Pat Steinberg telethon will start at 2 o'clock. Flames talk with Pat Steinberg. Unsure who his guests are going to be today, but that'll go up until 4 o'clock. Then at 4, it's Flames warm-up. Then at 5, it is the Flames. And it is the Flyers. I uh, can tell you that today's uh, Pat Steinberg telethon, uh, telethon is for uh, people with kind of small hands. But it is the Flames, and it is the Flyers. This is a Philadelphia team that got off to a good start, and I don't think that surprised many people because, you know, we'd heard what John Tortorella was saying about the Philadelphia Flyers in the offseason. The emails he was sending, be ready for training camp. This is going to be grueling, like, going to really work. And he did. And they were ready for the start of the season. But they are ravaged by injuries right now. Um, this is a team that I talked about last year quite a bit and said, listen, I thought that they could maybe challenge for playoff positioning, but then you lose Ryan Ellis and you lose Sean Couturier for the whole year. I'd be like playing without Elias Lindholm and Chris Tanev for your entire season. How good would the Flames be? Would they be a playoff team? Wouldn't be guaranteed. That's for sure. Would they be a, a bottom team in the NHL? Probably not, but still like that's, that's the type caliber player that we're talking that they, that was out of the lineup for them. 
And now both those players are still out again this year with really no timetable for them to return. Travis Konechny is now on the shelf for the uh, Flyers as well. Like, they're banged up. They don't have a lot of skill. Carter Hart was saving their bacon early on in the season, but that has started to kind of regress to the mean. Kind of hat. What are you thinking about the Philadelphia Flyers? What is your take on the Philadelphia Flyers at this point in the season? Yeah, I think that there's a good team in there somewhere. Beneath what? Beneath a lot of guys that are just average NHLers. Mm-hmm. You know, they lack a superstar when I look at the, their team. Like, I mean, they've got a good NHLers. I like Travis Konechny. I'm a big Travis Konechny guy. Sure. I think Kevin Hayes is a useful NHLer. Joel Farabee's got a lot of offensive he, talent to his game. He just led them game. in goals the other year, right? Yeah. Like, I think... I think there's good teams. Like there's good mix of guys there, but when I look at them as a whole, do I look at them and say, "Eh, this is a team that really I think is going to"? I don't know. I just I, I think when they're all there, they're all healthy. Could that be a a tough out? Sure, but again, you lose Couturier down the middle. Your center ice depth isn't anything that scares me. Rasmus Ristolainen as your two doesn't do a lot for me. Mm-hmm. It's I think that John Tortorella is an interesting guy to try to, you know, maximize their potential. But no team, like you said, no team's going to get through the kind of injuries that they are. Period. So there's still good pieces there. I don't think that they're a walkover by any means, but I think. Let me put it this way. They're somewhere in between the start that they had and not they're not that team. Yeah. But they're also not the team that's went 0-4 and 2 their last six games. Listen, I think that they're going to be a bottom team in the NHL. This is a good year for them to try and bottom out. Um, how much is this team still hurting from some of the trades that they have made? Like you think of... You know, to get Ryan Ellis in, they had to trade away Philippe Myers and Nolan Patrick, and and Nolan Patrick eventually got traded for Cody Glass, and that has had minimal returns for Nashville. Philippe Myers eventually gets traded to Tampa and actually played pretty good in that game against the Flames last week, too. But, you know, those are two young guys that probably fit a lot better with where Philadelphia is now compared to Ryan Ellis, and then you add in the fact he's barely played at all. Obviously, hindsight 2020 in this type of situation they needed a shutdown defenseman and they thought they were closer than they were and then they didn't get him. And now it's just been a cavalcade of things that have continued to go wrong. You give up a first and a second round pick for Rasmus Ristolainen. You give up a, a second and uh, you give up a second round pick just to move the contract of Shane Gostisbehere. And all of a sudden you're, you're moving out these high end prospects from drafts back in, you know, 22, 21 that really would have been nice to have those, you know, top 60 picks because this team, like we talked about, is is definitely not in a position right now where they're going to be able to challenge in what is a very, very talented metropolitan division, I would say. Like, there's, apart from the Columbus Blue Jackets, there's six teams that can make the playoffs in that division. The Devils and the Hurricanes are pretty much locks. And then pick two out of the Islanders, Rangers, Penguins, and Capitals. Right. So, if you're if you're Philly, 
I would I would embrace the nosedive, even though I know that would be very hard to do under a John Tortorella system. Yeah, that's and that's the problem, right? Is they don't see they they kind of remind me of Vancouver in, in a way. Yeah. It, now Vancouver's got younger and better high end talent than Philly. Sure. But I wonder if they're not both teams that sat there and thought they were somewhere that they really weren't. Now at least Vancouver had a good playoff run in the bubble. To help with that sort of idea, and, and I can understand why you'd play off of that. Philly hasn't really had that success in the last little while, but all those moves that you mentioned, and even signing John Tortorella as your coach, you don't do that to go for Connor Bedard. Yeah. Right? You just don't. And, I mean, look at the lines that they're they're throwing out tonight. Olivia Reiner on Twitter, who covers them for the Philly Inquirer, just had their uh, lines out in Morning Skate. Line one. Farabee, Frost, Tippett, Hayes, Cates, McEwen is your second line. That's Zach McEwen. Who is like fifth in team scoring with 11 points on the Flyers. Wilman, Brown, Lekzinski is your third. Tanner Lekzinski. Yeah. Been recalled, uh, just recalled from the Phantoms. Delorier, Sedlak, Bellows is your fourth line. Yeah. So that's. Delorier is real tough. I'll give him that. And they signed him to a pretty tidy four-year deal that pays him quite handsomely. No, and connect I think that me. there's a lot of teams that you know, if you were a contender, you'd like to have him for less term and less money because he's a good guy to have on your team when you need someone to get punched in the face on the other team. But that's my point. Like, that's well, what is he doing here? Exactly. That's what I mean. And that was their big off-season move. Now, obviously, we don't know how far things would have ever gone down the road with uh, Johnny Gaudreau. And if he ever would have even considered going to Philly, you know, you know, Philly would have wanted to have him, but obviously didn't do the work to trade out the JVR contract, whatever it was going to cost to clear the cap space and really even start those conversations with Johnny Gaudreau. So you end up with Nicholas Delorier and John Tortorella as your big offseason signing. And like I said earlier, Carter Hart played out of his mind to start the season. He was outstanding. But the numbers have kind of normalized I would say here where he's back down like earlier he was at like a 945 save percentage it's now back down to a 922 he's 6-3 and 4 and 13 starts this season his goals against is a 265 he's playing a lot like that is Tony D'Angelo is averaging 25 minutes and 8 seconds a night for these guys that's a lot of ice time for Tony D'Angelo and Tony D'Angelo is a lot of things an asshole is probably one of them. Okay, yeah. But defensively adept, probably not at the top of that list. Yeah, you'd 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 like to see some other guys start to kind of chip in for the Flyers. But risk hey, risk the line here, you're paying him all that money. He's getting sixteen minutes a night. So ap- Ooh, uh, that's not enough. Um so after we've basically just ran the Flyers over with the train for the last ten minutes. Is this a letdown game for the Flames after going through Tampa, after going through Florida, all the hype that was around those two games with Uyghur and with Huberto returning to their former teams? Do you have any chance of a, a, a letdown performance here against the Philadelphia Flyers? I mean, there's always that chance. I won't, I won't ever say that there's never that chance, but I think, if anything, I think the Flames should be more than up for this one, right? There's no... Extra storylines. There's no talking about Kachuk or talking about 
all the good times in Florida. That's that's over with now, right? Now we're on the road. We picked up a win. We're feeling good about ourselves. We can get this road trip going. You know, we're right in the middle of it now. I I think this should be every opportunity for a Flames team that's feeling good about themselves to take advantage of a team that's incredibly injured and is down and out right now. Mm-hmm. I think. Uh, about 15 minutes until morning skate is supposed to get underway for the Flames in Philadelphia. We'll have a better idea on lines uh, lines, and, and really just availability. Um, this was a game recently that the Flames played where they kind of went a lot more standard, what you would expect with their their four lines that they trotted out there. Uh, Rizicka stayed with Lindholm and Toffoli. Kadri was on a line with... Dylan Dubé and Andre Mangiapane reuniting that line from the start of the season. And then the third unit had Backlund with Jonathan Huberdeau and Blake Coleman. Trevor Lewis moved to play the middle of the ice on the fourth line with Brett Ritchie and Milan Lucic. But then Brett Ritchie gets banged up in the game, gets a little bit tangled up with Radko Gudis after Gudis throws a, uh, a hit on Elias Lindholm as he kind of uh, skates across the offensive zone. Um, you know, Lindholm ended up being okay from the hit, but I didn't mind Brett Ritchie going after Radko Gudis in that situation. That's one of your absolute best players and didn't see enough of that against the Tampa Bay Lightning, so it was good to see. But Ritchie kind of a little bit banged up, so we'll see if he skates today and if they're going to be forced to make any changes. Um, the kind of initial idea that I would have is Kevin Rooney back into the lineup to play the middle of the ice and Trevor Lewis bumps over to the right-hand side which, you know, we've heard Daryl Sutter talk about Trevor Lewis before. Yes, he's a versatile guy, but ideally he is playing on the right. That's where he's kind of the he, – he's at his best there for sure. Um, like, for example, like remember when uh, someone asked Daryl Sutter on uh, why Trevor Lewis plays the middle earlier on in the season? And he said uh, – this is what he said. I moved to center because that means because either because of injury or somebody was horse Yeah, so mm. – that's why Trevor Lewis plays the middle. Um, Kevin Rooney was out of the lineup last game, and Trevor Lewis was playing the middle. So if, if Richie has to come back in, or if Richie isn't able to come back in, that would probably be the most um, logical jump in the lines. Um, Dennis Gilbert, I would assume, stays in. What did you make of his game? Like, I would assume he gets another shot here to play alongside Chris Tanev. Yeah, that's my guess. Uh, I know Pat's wondered about uh, Michael Stone's availability to return at some point on this trip. Sure. So another guy to keep an eye out when those an interesting one. morning skate gets under way yeah. in about 10 minutes here. Yeah, I'd have no problem throwing Gilbert back in there. We haven't heard of any other recalls or anything else. So uh, as of right now, I think that, I mean, he might have a season high uh, in ice time going back to, to Saturday afternoon playing 11-28. So um, yeah, I had no problem with him. I thought he played solid. I think that um, he's only going to improve being in there more consistently and getting more run with a guy like Chris Tanev. So, yeah, really, to me, it's the Richie conversation is the only one I'm having. And the only other thing is, you know. Who starts? Yeah. Do you, is this a time to go to Vladar? Maybe. It's been three games, that or four straight, that you've now gone to Jacob Markstrom. He played well against Boston. Yeah, he did. Right? What was it? Two on twenty-seven in a losing effort, I think. Yeah, two goals on twenty-seven shots against. So, well, it wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, you know, it wasn't a sparkling performance, but he was 
fine, I would say, out there. Um, so I wouldn't be shocked. But then again, this isn't a, a, a group necessarily that has said, oh, this is a bad team. We're playing our backup goalie. I just don't think Daryl Sutter likes the mentality that instills in his team. That, okay, this is a this is a weak opponent. We'll play the weak goalie. You guys can kind of give 80% and you'll be able to walk through the game. Like I think that he tries to avoid a little bit of that mentality that can creep in when you're constantly throwing out your backup goaltender against the worst team in the NHL. One of the worst teams in the NHL. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. And I think that that's something that you can certainly see that he does. Um Try because I think it's it's clear to me that when he and I think he even goes the other way, right? I think he tries to put his team in a position to quote unquote work harder by putting his backup against good teams. Remember against Colorado last year, first couple of games it was Vladar. I, I thought that was more of a message to his team to say, "Hey, look, we're going with our backup tonight, boys, and if we're not ready to go, you're going to leave him out to dry." Against Colorado, you can't do that, right? So yeah. you better be ready to go. Yeah. So. I I wonder about that too because you're right. I do think it's something that he pays attention to. Like he's going to start Friday or Saturday too. Yeah, you got a doubleheader there, going uh, Washington at noon on Friday, and then if I'm not mistaken, I forget where they wrap up. Carolina. Saturday, Carolina. I was thinking Pittsburgh, but Pittsburgh's on Thursday. Pittsburgh, yeah, yeah. So, um, you got two tough games. He's going to start in one of those. So I also wouldn't be shocked if maybe you uh. You let Marshall roll for these next two, and then maybe you go Carolina on Saturday. I even, you know, I'd like to see Dan get two on the on the trip. To be honest, yeah. I'd I'd like to if if he doesn't go tonight, I'd be perfectly fine with him going against Pittsburgh, and, and then, then Saturday and then, as well. Yeah, and then Saturday. So then for Markstrom, he would have what he would play today, have three days off before Friday's game. The Flames will then return home after Saturday on a Tuesday and they will play on the Tuesday. So that would be another few games. Yeah. yeah it's not too much time off between starts. I'd like to. Daryl doesn't also care what I think. So I'd say that's very low on the list yeah. as far as, um, you know, polling opinions that Daryl's going to have as he goes around the coach's room today yeah. uh, after morning skate. Um, five o'clock start. We're going to have your flames warm up at four. Pat Steinberg with flames. Talk will go at two o'clock. We love the early starts here on sports at 960. The fan, we got to get out of here. But before we do that, uh, we got to get you one more world cup update. We're going to bring them to you twice on the show. Uh, every show for as long as the world cup continues a couple of weeks uh, ahead here. Uh, Canada doesn't play until Wednesday. Tommy Wielden jr. Is going to stop by and hang out on Wednesday as we preview that game. But, Plenty of other action uh, on the slate. So with all of that and more, let's uh, hand it over to our man in the other room, Alex Brody. Yeah, and this soccer report is brought to you by CertainTeed, the pro's choice for roofing, siding, drywall, insulation, and ceiling systems. CertainTeed, pro all the way. And it was a goal fest between England and Iran this morning. The game remains scoreless early due to an injury, but things opened up in the 35th minute. Jude Bellingham, the 19-year-old with a powerful header, put England out in front. And they didn't look back from there. Bucky Osaka would score his first, followed by Raheem Sterling scoring the first in the first of 14 minutes of injury time to end the half. Saka would get his second of the contest, followed by Marcus Rashford scoring mere minutes after entering the pitch as a sub, and Jack Grealish also added another in the second half. 
Iran would get some too, though. They got one from Mehdi Tarami in the 65th minute and a late penalty awarded thanks to VAR got him his second of the game. VAR! But it was all England in this one. It ends 6-2. Next in Group B action, England will be taking on the New Look USA team on Wednesday and Iran will meet Wales bright and early at 3 a.m. But still, lots of World Cup action to come today. Coming at the top of the hour, the Netherlands will be taking on Senegal. Senegal missing star player Saudi Omane. That's a huge hit for the team. And things will be make or break with a strong defensive line led by Kalido Koulibaly on the Senegal side. The offensive side of things will be the big question mark to see if they can get out of that group. And the Netherlands returning to the World Cup after missing out in 2018. They have an exciting squad also led by a strong world-class centre-back in Virgil van Dijk. They will be looking to top Group A. Lineups have been announced. Teams are out for warm-ups at Al Thumama Stadium. Pardon yeah, me. there it is. And still to come later today, the United States, who also missed out on last year's World Cup, will be looking to start strong against Wales, who are making their first World Cup appearance since 1958. Both sides looking very interesting here. Although neither qualified for the World Cup last year, both teams are ranked within the top 20 of the FIFA World Rankings. USA actually only one returning player from their last World Cup in 2014, and that being DeAndre Yedlin. 25 of those 26 players are attending their first ever World Cup. The team is led by Christian Pulisic, the most expensive North American football player in history. The 5'10 forward is the face of US football, and the team is built around his presence. The USA, also the second youngest team at the tournament for Wales. They're led by star striker Gareth Bale, the team qualified after finishing second in their group and defeating Ukraine in the inter, inter qualifiers. This team has a lot of Premier League talent and is looking to make some waves in this exciting Group B. Kickoff for this one is set for 12 p.m. And quickly, tomorrow's slate, four games on the docket. Matt, your number one team, Argentina, yeah. taking on Saudi Arabia at 3 a.m. Followed Let's by go. your dark horse, Denmark, taking on Tunisia at 6 a.m. We'll no, be able they, to catch that one. They're not my dark horse. Wales is my dark horse. Oh, what's, we what's we got Denmark? big action. At New- Denmark's on my team, but they were my second pick. Oh, they, wow. Yeah. What, what do you mean, wow? Tough picks for you there, Matt. Oh, Number two, whoa, Denmark. Right, 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 in the, shot right there. in the teeth. Anyway, hmm. followed by that, 9 a.m. <laughs> picks do, Alex. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mexico taking on Poland. That's going to be an exciting match there. And finally, Tommy Wilden's number one team, France, taking on the Socceroos from Argentina. And this soccer report was brought to you by CertainTeed, the pro's choice for roofing, siding, drywall, insulation, and ceiling systems. CertainTeed, pro all the way. My team might not be very good, but at least I don't hate Canada like Alex Brody, who picked (laughs) Belgium with his first pick. Hey, How could wow. you pick Belgium with your first pick? They play they play the Canadians on Wednesday. I wasn't hoping to pick Belgium, but you guys left me with the fifth overall pick, right? So could have picked Denmark. Just saying, blame oh, the draft pick. Could have picked there, Denmark. Um, hey, uh, coming up next, going deep with Donovan Bennett. They're going to go deep, and then it's going to be Jeff Merrick at 10 a.m. I'll be joined by uh, Elliot Friedman as usual. And then it'll be the Raptors show. Uh, Eric Francis show goes off at 1 o'clock. And then uh, it'll be the Pat Steinberg telethon all the way up until puck drop. 5 o'clock, Flames and the Flyers. And we'll break it all down for you right here tomorrow morning on the big show. Sports 960, The Fan.